Whose is it? It's, uh, it's mine. I didn't know you were into music. Oh, I know you're a DJ, but I've heard your show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like all the bands. I like... I've got a broad taste, you know, from, uh, from the Britpop bands like oh. uh, UB40, Def Leppard. Um, <laughs> right back to classic rock, like uh, Wings. Uh, who's Wings? They're only the band the Beatles could have been. Oh, I love the Beatles. Yeah, so do I. What's your favourite Beatles album, then? Tough one. I think I'd have to say the best of the Beatles. <laughs> Classic line from the great Alan Partridge. And I think it's especially apposite because real Beatles fans are so die-hard about the band, so serious about them, that this scene is almost sacrilegious, so it is. And it just so happens that I am one of those, well, would you call me a die-hard Beatles fan? I grew up with the Beatles. I mean, I wasn't alive when they were around, but in my youth, all the Beatles um, records were hanging around the house. Um... And, uh, I mean, I'm not even a, an expert or an encyclopedia about the Beatles, but I do love them. Um, and they're pretty much my first exposure and, uh, to getting to know music. And I started to watch Peter Jackson's new documentary about them, Get Back. I find it fascinating. And I wanted to talk to another diehard Beatles fan about the documentary and the band. And Dave Fanning was the man I went straight to, as Dave Fanning is your go-to man about all things music, maybe, but definitely all things Beatles. Dave was a member of the Beatles fan club from the age of eight years of age, and his love for the band hasn't waned one bit since. We completely nerded out on the greatness of the Beatles, uh, why they made such an impact on the world, why they broke up. But as Dave is one of Ireland's foremost authorities on music in general, I took the opportunity to get him to open up on loads more besides the Beatles. I remember meeting Bono on Grafton Street once, and uh, he said, yeah, we're going to London. Every single band went yeah. to London. And 60% of them lasted about a month after they came back and broke up. I was going, are you sure? Are you sure you're ready for London? They were never going to London because McGuinness had a plan. London was a stepping stone to America. I remember Tony came to me once and said, um, Dave, you know all these guys in the movies and all that kind of thing. You know, like, you know that thing at the beginning of every movie, like, uh, and the ads and all that. You know? Could I get that gig? So what do you mean? He says, well, you know, one man, <laughs> two lives. <laughs> They haven't just changed music and fashion and art. They've changed culture. They've changed everything. They've changed youth. And they're just sitting around having a cup of tea and toast and talking about when we do a song or not. And they're half interested and half not. And it's brilliant. Dave, you've got the likability factor. Dave, tell the truth. There must have been one Boys Own or Westlife song that you sing alone when you're in the car. Tell me what song it is, Dave. Not one. Dave, you're lying. You, you're a well-known liar. You're a snob and a liar. So if you love music, and let's face it, who doesn't love music, I think you're going to really enjoy my chat with Dave Fanning, which is coming up in just a few minutes. But because Dave is one of Ireland's best-known DJs and authorities on music, it is seen as a real badge of honour to be interviewed by him on his show. If you're sitting in front of Dave Fanning talking about your music career, you know you've arrived in the big leagues. And you never know who might show up. In fact, you never know who some of the biggest music acts of 2021 have turned out to be. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Dave Fanning here on the radio, and what a great year it's been for recorded music. Maybe not for live music, but recorded music. It's been a fantastic year. I'm joined by one of the bands, the breakout stars of 2021, Professor Luke O'Neill. Hi, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hi, Dave. Hi. And uh, Luke, what a year you've had. You started yeah. off the year as a lead vocalist with one of the biggest bands of 2021, The Restrictions. Yeah, it was a roller coaster. You know, the data was telling us we were number one in 17 countries. So yeah, you know, absolutely from, huge yeah. hits. <laughs> Six feet apart. Yeah. Wash your hands. Boost me, baby all from the same album Infectious yeah, yeah Infectious well, we went all over the world apparently yeah, you could say it went viral <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come yeah. here speaking of which you got involved then with the death metal supergroup yeah. Viral Load tell yeah. us all about that yeah I love the lads you know love the lads yeah yeah love what a lineup. Yeah, yourself great. Professor Philip Nolan on bass yeah. Tony Holohan on lead guitar yeah. and mad Sam McConkie <laughs> on drums yeah. what was your favourite record for the Viral Load with, the, uh, from, with, with Viral Load I'd say Nasal Swab great which, record which, yeah, Nasal yeah, Swab yeah. yeah I loved Antibody really Antibody, loved that yeah, song yeah. I I thought that was great. Yeah, it was a fantastic record. Yeah, and now listen, come here, breaking, breaking news. You've gone solo. Yeah. Last night, for example, you played to 40,000 people in Wembley. Yeah. You know, what was that like? Incredible, it was incredible. Yeah. It was incredible. Here he is, Luke yeah. O'Neill, last night in Wembley yeah. in front of 40,000 people singing. What, what were you singing? Uh, cautiously optimistic. Here we are. Cautiously optimistic, yeah. The data's telling me cautiously optimistic. Thank you, Wembley. I'm Luke. I'm Luke. I'm Luke. I'm Luke. I'm Luke. 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 It's Pat. You nodded off for a second. We're about to go live. Uh, I'm joined by Luke O'Neill, Professor Luke O'Neill. We're going to spend the next four hours talking about antigen tests. Oh, shite. <laughs> Luke O'Neill, a great musician trapped inside the body of an eminent immunologist. One day, Luke, one day, one day, it will all happen for you. So Christmas is the time to give gifts to the ones we love, isn't it? And to put old rivalries to bed, letting bygones be bygones. So Curry's, proud supporters of this very podcast, have organised the big Curry's Chris Kindle to bring some well-known faces together safely online, where gifts are given and all of branches extended. President Michael D. Higgins, of course, kindly agreed to MC the proceedings and we're going to cross live to Oris and Uthron for that event right now. <coughs> yes, indeed, Christmas is a time for giving. That's why, as president, I'd like to welcome you all to my national online Chris Kindle, with people joining me from all walks of life, remotely at the Aorus, on my giant 58-inch smart screen. Hello! Hi, Mr. President. Which I purchased from Curry's at an unbelievable price. Who would like to be the first to gift? As Taoiseach, I'll go first, uh, Michael. Yes, indeed. Off you go, Michal. I'd like to share a gift uh, with Leo, if that's okay. Oh, thanks, uh, Michal. What did you get me? Uh, I got you a Sage Smart Scoop uh, ice cream machine uh, going forward. uh, Open curries, Leo. Wow, that's great. Uh, In the mega Christmas sale. It's beautiful. I, I thank you, Michal. I, I always said if you were an ice cream, Leo, uh, you'd lick yourself. Uh, well, now you can. <laughs> uh, thanks, yeah. Uh, right, uh, who's next? Uh, me, Michael uh, Johnny Sexton. Yes. Uh, who are you gifting to Johnny? Uh, you, Mr. President. Yeah. What, yeah. Really, what did you get me, Johnny? It's a superstar hoverboard. A hoverboard? Yeah, I got it in Curry's as well. Amazing value. Yes. You can use it uh, when you're coming down to meet the team and stuff. Really? Yeah, it works really, really well on red carpets. Thank you, you're Johnny. Welcome. Thank you, thank you. All right, who's next? All right, Michael D. Mick McCarthy. Wonderful. Who are you gifting? I thought it was time to bury Hatchet, so I got something for Roy. <laughs> Thanks, Mick. What'd you get me? A Kenwood smoothie blender up in Curry's. A blender? Great value up in Curry's. Mega Christmas sale. 
Make your fruit and vegetable smoothies, Roy. Smoothies? I know you how you like to stay fit and healthy, Roy, so... Sorry, are you saying I'm unfit or something? No, I'm just saying that... Well, then why are you getting me a smoothie blender for? What the hell are you... Because it were incredible bargain up in Curry's. You're saying I'm out of shape, aren't you? That's what no, you're saying. Gentlemen, you're right. gentlemen. Some things never change, like Curry's, who won't be beaten on price. Mega Christmas sale now on. So my advice is get yourself down to the nearest Curry's and get a gift at a great price this Christmas and beyond. And thanks to Curry's for the support of this podcast all year long. And thanks to you for listening and getting in touch. As you know, you can contact me directly. I'm Mario Rosenstock at gmail.com. It's just my personal Gmail. I read all the emails. Sometimes I get more than others. And I make an effort to reply to most, if not all of them. Um, But the Mario Rosenstock podcast has been chosen by Apple Podcasts as one of the top new podcasts of 2021. And this is an honour we are absolutely delighted about. Not many podcasts get chosen and there are many podcasts out there. Um, Only a handful of podcasts receive this honour and we're absolutely delighted about it. So we're so happy and thanks to you for helping us reach these hallowed heights onwards and upwards in 2022. If you haven't subscribed or followed to the series yet, please do so. It's that little subscribe or follow button right up at the top of the channel you're listening on right now. Those clicks really help us reach more people just like you. And give us a rating if you can. Um, And leave a review if you have the time to do so. That would be most appreciated. So, Dave Fanning has been waiting patiently in the green room. He sat down in front of his studio mic and is ready to rock. Let's jump straight in to some Beatles fan chat. Come here. You've had a good look. At, you've had a look at the Beatles get back. Absolutely. Tell me what you think, because I'm, well, I'm I've finished in, episode one in December 2020. In other words, a year ago, um, they gave us the, the what do you call it, the trailer for it. And they said, uh, you know, this is going to be a bit of a, a, a highlight of 2021. I had no idea that the word highlight doesn't fit it. It's absolutely the cultural highlight of the year above and beyond anything else. It is truly astonishing. And yet I know people who um, have watched some of it and who like, and I'll put, use the word like as opposed to love the Beatles, and they couldn't get past 90 minutes. And I really do understand that because it's just faffing around at four blokes. But to have the insight, I mean, you might as well be there with Michelangelo doing the Sistine Chapel. You might as well be uh, Beethoven composing number five. All of these things. It's just astonishing insight. And the funny thing about it is, if you think back to the, some of their best albums, like two that don't get mentioned much would be A Hard Day's Night and Help. And then obviously the big two, which is Rubber Soul and uh, and Revolver. If you think back to those, would I like to be in the studios for those when they're getting on really well, when George Martin is thrown in as Tuppensworth and when there's really incredible creativity going on. I don't know if I would. There's a tension with this one here that even though it's not near their best album, it's not in their top seven or eight albums at all. There are three or four songs that are good enough to make it all worthwhile on that level. There's also bits and pieces of Abbey Road, which was recorded later. There's bits and pieces of solo albums and bits and pieces of stuff from way past the blues boom. And it's just the whole idea of the way they did it and how they did it. These guys are the four most famous people in the world. They haven't just changed music and fashion and art. They've changed culture. They've changed everything. They've changed, you know, youth, the whole thing. And, uh, they're just sitting around having a cup of tea and toast and talking about when we do a song or not. And they're half interested and half not. And it's brilliant. It's yeah. absolutely brilliant. Well, one of the things that interests me, because at the first the, the first uh, episode has ended for me. So kind of George has left the Beatles and they've had a meeting with George and it didn't go well. Um, yeah. But one of the things that comes across was, and this is hard to explain even, the idea that 
you just sort of said it there, how ordinary they are. So you are watching, you know, three or four of the greatest musicians of the last hundred years. And they don't act like geniuses and they don't act like sort of temperamental mad people who are inhabited by this genius. They're just extremely normal, extremely, uh, uh, you know, almost mundane. Um, and that's, 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 that's an interesting thing that comes across. The other thing that comes across is I spent most of my life, I suppose, not in the Paul camp, but sort of defending Paul in a way, because I grew up with people who were all Lenin, e- Leninistas. Yeah. And yeah. I get it. I fucking yeah. get it. I love Lenin. And I love the cynicism yeah. and I love the rawness and I love the, the sort of the in tune with his, the love, L-O-V-E, that, that, that he would have gone on about. Yeah. But, I, but there was something about McCartney that I always adored. And apart from his music, the way he came across. And it kind of, um, it kind of is backed up by the, the, the documentary, Dave, because McCartney comes across so bloody well in it. In terms of somebody who wants to keep the show on the road and keep the, oh, just keep yeah, the thing well, together. There's a few things. I mean, like, uh, first of all, um, when you think about just, first of all, like, not one of the Beatles, the Beatles broke up 15 months after that happened, after what you saw there. Um, in other words, this is January 69. They broke up officially, that is, in April 70. Now, they were kind of broken up before that and they were breaking up before that as well and everything went horribly wrong. Although, in July and August, they recorded Abbey Road four or five months later, which is really weird, even though Abbey Road was released first and the last album to be released was Let It Be. And Let It Be came out around the time that they said uh, they'd broken up. And um, that made made it look to people like this was the swan song, this was the end and all the rest of it. And uh, it kind of was, but it wasn't made as the end. I mean, there was no real indication that they were going to break up. I don't care if George left and anything else happened. There was no real breaking up going on with this here. There was just bad vibes. It's a different thing. Everybody has that. You should hear a crowded house talking about it. They they looked at the thing and said, oh, my God, that's us. That's every band. I was never in a band, so I don't know. But that happens all the time. Like John comes in. He's obviously got three or four songs in his back pocket. He doesn't have any. And there's a freak out with the band because they're, they're up against it. Because I interviewed uh, Michael Lindsay Hogg a couple of weeks ago on the radio. And he was just saying that, like, you've got to understand what you were just saying there about the normalness of them all. These are four northern lads. They don't have uppity views about themselves. They're not from Carnaby Street, even if they invented Carnaby Street. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, by by accident, almost everything they did, they were just doing their own thing and suddenly everything that came off them. But you've got to remember, not one Beatle was 30 when they broke yeah. up. That makes everybody feel really bad. It does. And, and John, George, was, George was a year younger or two than the... Uh, George is 25 yeah, when that's, that's, that's that The other two are 27 you, away. And, uh, and John is about 28. Yeah. Yeah. No, John is two years older than yeah. Paul. So, but not one of them was 30 a year and a bit later when they broke mm. up. I mean, what the hell is that about? Like, look at Bob Dylan, 45, I think, fantastic albums, one or two duds, obviously. But the best, obviously, before he was 30. Always. I mean, there was something about it. Well, Once you reach 30, jump, it's downhill. We'll, ju- we'll jump, off, jump, off, jump off on that one for a second then. Because I've asked that, I've thought about that a lot in life as well as, uh, um, as, as well as you know, just talking about music. But w- w- why do you think... Why do you think that happens, that a lot of their best music is written about? Is it because they've been once around the block and they've told that story and everything else is kind of retelling the same story over again? 
And do you, or do you think it's all about talking about love for the first time or talking? Well, no, very possibly that's true, but it shouldn't be like mm. that. There's absolutely no reason why you couldn't be as creative in your 30s. And I'm sure you'll give me 20 examples of people who were or in your 40s or your Well, 50s. a novelist. I mean, like... The, well, novelists, number Poets. one, but also people like, um, yeah, but there's also people in music, like in, in music. There are those who would say that if Johnny Cash released 50 albums, his last five were, without a doubt, the best. Leonard Cohen, there's a lot of people who like the last four compared to the first four because of just how honest it is. Like one of the definitions of being honest to your art or whatever it is, is to reflect who you mm. are around mm. where you live and all the rest of those things. And that's what Leonard was doing. I'm an old man. Here's four albums about being an old yeah. man. I'm not trying to sing good morning little schoolgirl. in fact I hope to God the Stones don't sing that anymore do they <laughs> I hope not no my favourite um, Bob Dylan album is Time Out oh is, I think I've lost ti- you have I my, it's Time Out of Mind my favourite Bob Dylan album is Time Out of Mind so um, and he wrote that well Time Out of Mind is, is that's 1997 mm. and that's the one with Brownsville Girl and all that and yeah. Not Dark um, Yet it's getting there not dark yet. In fact, not dark yet is the first track on the new Dave Gahan album. He's done this. Uh, the guy from Depeche Mode. Just thought I'd tell you that. Mm. Anyway, listen, it's it's brilliant, and I'm going to get into episode two. And for you, it's one of the cultural highlights of the last bloody ten. ten oh, ten. there's no question. I was amazed at how good it actually is. I was amazed at how absorbing, how interesting. The little bits and pieces, especially when you. And I'm sorry to say, when you've watched it twice, all seven hours. So I, like, I've seen other bits the second time that I'd not seen the yeah. first time. So you've got to you've got to understand something, Peter Jackson. Um, said the first album he got of the Beatles was the Blue Album yeah. and the second one was the, was the, the Red Album. Albums. And the Blue Album, yeah, the, yeah, the mm. Hits Albums. They're kind of record company releases. Mm. So the first one is the first few years and the second one is the next few years. So with all due respect to Peter, and I don't doubt for one second that he's a major Beatles fan, and this is going to sound like, I'm sorry, it's important. He wasn't there. I'm the youngest of six. Um, from the age of about six or seven, I was a veteran of... Pop Wars from Cliff to Elvis. We had box sets of Woody Guthrie in our of, of Woody, yeah, Woody Guthrie in our house. We had Dudu Paquana. We had um, John Coltrane. We had these. We had all kind of jazz stuff and everything else, and you know, the, 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 all this sort of stuff in the house. And we had lots of records. And I listened to them all. Listened to pop music obviously at the same time. And just about the right time, when I was about seven, the Beatles came along. I joined their fan club immediately. I was in their fan club mm. for the whole life, from from the time they began to the time they end. But Point is, I can't tell you what it was like to wait every nine months for a Beatles album. It was just like the biggest single thing in your mm. life. And then the only one I actually ever spent money on was uh, because my brothers were able to buy the others, although it was a big deal to buy an album. It still was. You bought one a month at the best. And um, was um, I went to Stillorgan Shopping Centre to Golden Discs. And the guy knew me as a bit of a... I don't think I was a smart ass, but when I walked in at the age of 11, he knew that I knew more about feckin' music than he did. I was saying, uh, there's a 10 bob note. I actually put a 10 bob note down on uh, the next Beatles album, Sgt. Pepper. Jesus, why? Is, is it coming out? No, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is only January. It comes out in June the 1st. <laughs> All right, okay. So then you'll, you'll owe me another, like, one pound. It was one pound. Yeah. It was three 10 bobs. I needed two more. So I was able to tell, but I tell you, I can give you some titles because we got the NME. And we had the NME on order in our house from the same shop, Tevens at the top of Foster Avenue for six decades, from 59 to 2001. My brother had it from 69 to 72, and I took it on from 72 then. But the thing is, uh, he threw out all the uh, all the enemies, but he cut out the charts on page three, because they were always important. I've got them in a big box. So when I met Paul McCartney, I brought, if I saw over there, signed on the wall, I brought the thing to him in London. 
And he looked at it and I went, wow, love me do. Like, no, it's number 17. First track we ever did. Can I have this? I said, no, like, hello. Like, I gave you to sign it, you feckin' agent. So he signed it. He signed the White Album and everything else. And they have things like that up on the wall. It's all very sad. But anyway, and the point is also the way music was then. Like, later on it became, um, you know, you had the top 10 records in America, top 10 albums in America, the top 10 albums. And, but in those days, it was just the top 20 of the top 30. And on the on the right, it was best-selling sheet music in Britain. Yes. So it was people who would buy to do the songs yes. on the charts on, on the piano. Yes. Because a lot of teachers realised we can teach people how to do piano if we teach them the popular hits of today. Yeah. Anyway, there's loads yeah, yeah. of things around. But listen, um, you just raised an interesting point there. Because my two memories of you before I knew you through the uh, radio business... Well, we're way back. And if one of them you don't know and one of them, two, actually two of them you wouldn't know. I was in New Park in Black Rock and you came to New oh, Park yeah. to talk about the Beatles once. Uh, what? Yeah. In, and I, Me? Yeah. And I was 13 in New Park. I was in first year. And uh, you came to New Park uh, to talk about the Beatles. And the second one was me lying in bed in Cork in a boarding school in a situation very much like you described of waiting for the next um, Beatles album. Except I was waiting we were waiting with our lights around the, the dorm, uh, our small little lamps kept up listening to you on 2FM because you were going to talk about this new album, which was called The Joshua Tree. And oh. The Joshua Tree was going to come out and you had three singles from it. Oh. And my outstanding memory was my outstanding memory was with, hearing with or without you for the first time, which had that weird... Oh, yeah. Yeah, and that yeah. really, really uh, left. Uh, so it was a kind of that was a kind of a golden time as well. And you said, you know, the Beatles broke up and everything. And my next question actually there was, so I just wrote it down when you said, why didn't you two break up then? Well, why would you? Why did the Why didn't the Stones break up? Mm. Thank God they didn't. They brought out like some very underrated albums like Goat's Head Soup and, and Sony Rock and Roll. Brilliant albums. The people said, ah, they've kind of lost it. They didn't lose it. The 70s stuff by the Stones was fantastic. Um, so the same. You two, like if you don't like their later music, which I do like, um, I just think like the last two albums are autobiographical Bono stuff. And if he never brings out his autobiography, listen to those two albums. And I just think they're fine. They're great. But I mean, I understand like when they when they released their 20 20 or 21st album you look back on album 13 and 14 and go oh yeah they were the mm. two autobiography albums and that's fine but I follow a band like that and that's the way I like mm. it I mean some people like Neil Young test your patience because seven out of eight albums are just crap mm-hmm. but I mean I'll still I'll still follow I'll still listen I'll certainly still check it out but um, but, but, but but what I mean obviously you're obviously you're you're so connected with you two what makes them so special do you think what kept them together for so long what makes them so special I mean was it a was, was it a confluence of various different things apart from talent? Or do you think, for example, how much, how much out of 100% does talent play a part in this story? Well, I'd rather say what 80% is. Mm. Look, with every single band who ever makes it, luck is 80%. Right time. I'll give you an example. McGuinness, um, I remember uh, they played a gig, their second gig ever in London was in a place called the Nashville Rooms. And there was... Um, it was, there was a mod revival for about five minutes at the time mm. and Secret Affair were kind of famous for about a week and Secret Affair were headlining. The next band I can't remember and the first band on stage was um, U2. 
And I went to the gig, not that I was going over to London to the gig. I was over there anyway. So I said, I'll go along. And my goodness was delighted to see me. I swear to God, there was about six people at the gig. And you won't believe this bit, but it's true. The guy on the monitor of the sound, he was kind of using you two to get the sound right for the night, frankly. He didn't give a damn. And uh, he had a dog. So it was literally one man and his dog was watching the gig. It was just ridiculous. And they were good. They did what they did and all the rest, etc. But I mean... I remember meeting Bono on Grafton Street once and he'd played a hundred times in the Baggett and in, in, in McGonagall's where we were all doing our thing. And uh, he said, yeah, we're going to London. Every single band went yeah. to London. And I found that 60% of them lasted about a month after they came back and broke up. I was going, are you sure? Are you sure you're ready for London? They were never going to London. It never really occurred to me that they were going to London because McGuinness had a plan. London was a stepping stone to America. It was always America. He joined this thing called Premier Talent, which was Springsteen's crowd, and that was Frank Barcelona. And he put all the things in place to make it all work so the band could look after themselves. Like, in other words, it is a good example of management working, of other things, the extra stuff that you don't have to think about. Like, for the last seven weeks, I've had bands on the radio on a Sunday afternoon just going on about one song, like the Frank and Walters or the Thrills or whoever it happens to be, you know, an emotional fish. And they have a moment that they really enjoyed the whole thing, but it all fell apart. Like we had um, Curb Dog, Cormac, the other day, and he just he said it was just too young. They were brought over to L.A. twice to make albums. They made one album with, with Nirvana's producer, all of this kind of thing. And like they just didn't realise that actually, like as Cormac put it quite brilliantly, like there were guys all at home working in pretty lousy jobs who he went to school with. I've got the best job in the world here. So the least I can do is realise the job never occurred to me was a job. It just, I just didn't work at it. It just didn't really happen. You two were very, very together. They really were. And yeah, they were talent. So if you want to say talent is 80%, go right ahead. I just think luck I think is luck, is, luck. I think luck is, I don't know about 80%, but luck is, luck is a large part in absolutely everything in life. Not Every single thing in luck. life. One thing, yeah, but one thing about luck is that, that could be also defined as right time, right place. Just as simple as that. And there's also the idea, if you put yourself in the right place, a lot of times more than other people, there's more chance that you'll be in the right time in the right place. Absolutely. So that's all about knocking on the door. But did you get a vibe from them earlier on that there was a steeliness or an ambition? Here's another way of asking the question. Did they, they didn't have any idea that they'd make it, right? In other words, they never looked at you. They never, there was never a movie moment, Dave, was there? Where anybody looked at you and went, Dave, 20 years from now, we're going to be huge and we know it. No, but there's the funny thing that when gigs were gigs and I'm, what do you call your man? Um, uh, Brian Dobson. I did a mm. thing on the radio with him about 30 years ago or so. I said, oh no, they're really good and blah, 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 blah. And I think like, you know, someday, you know, they'll sell out a place like Crow Park. And he roared laughing. He just, <laughs> I like nobody, like there's no such thing as a gig in Crow Park. So that, that was the only presciently brilliant thing I ever said. Did I know they were going to make it? If they made it past the Baggett Inn, I was amazed. If they made it as far as this, I had no idea. None whatsoever. I mean, there's one thing about you too. Yeah, but today I'm asking you. Yeah, but hold on. Mm. Like from my point of view, there were other bands I preferred at the time. I preferred the Undertones. I preferred the Rats. Mm. I mean, because they were they had a full album out. But the band I played most in Pirate Station on, on demo was U2. Did they have, Bono certainly had a plan. No question about that. He was absolutely determined and he always meant it. That doesn't mean anything. I can think of three other guys who were determined that meant it. They're back in the factory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we're back, um, so, you know, so whatever, you know, I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, but he is also fascinating, um, to be fair, Dave, himself. Um, as a person that kind of really literally divides people down the centre in this country in terms of his public persona. I myself think he kind of walks a line, a very careful line in a, in a quite a chameleon and brilliant kind of way. 
Um, but uh, do you see him as 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 a fascinating kind of Irish person, a person that exists within Irish society? No, I mean the thing is that uh, like people would expect me to say, "Oh, geez, you know, like he's God or something like that or whatever," yeah. which I wouldn't say. But I really, really, really do praise the guy. I've seen him in action. I've seen what he does. I've seen it when you two aren't on the road and how he gets involved in so many things. That it'd be much easier not to get involved in. You'd be better off maybe living in your castle and not annoying people by trying to save the world. But he's out there trying to do that. And he'll take all the, the brickbats that are thrown, etc. I've seen what he does. And it is absolutely, I'm convinced there's three of them. There isn't just one of them. There couldn't be. Like, he just seems to be in the right places at the right time all the time, just pushing an agenda that's supposed to be, you know, all about being good to other people. He really does live it. He really does. I, I just think it's amazing. And also, I think the music is good, too. And I think he's a good rock star. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, he's he's a good rock star. Um, you were talking about Abbey Road there, and I think it wasn't wasn't um wasn't Golden Slumbers and stuff on on the that little medley on Ambi, on Abbey Road. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, la, the, the the whenever I hear that now, that little, you know, you've got to carry that weight and Golden Slumbers. I always think of Tony Fenton's funeral. Um, oh yeah. Because it was in Donnybrook Church, and uh, I think Paul Harrington did a really nice um version of it. And you two were there as well. I remember you two were there and we all had to do a few words and all this sort of stuff. Um, and I wonder, did, do, do, do you like one of the notes I wrote down was that it's almost a cliche now of this rock star, you know, talking about rock stars, but that kind of rock star period that you guys went through in the sort of late 80s and, and 90s on those road shows and everything around Ireland and the kind of. You know, Fenton was on that sort of situation and Jerry Ryan and everything. Do you look back fondly on those um, memories or or what? what? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I do. Tony was um, so kind of blatantly, brilliantly old school <laughs> that like you'd laugh at his face. Like, I remember Tony came to me once and said, um, Dave, you know all these guys in the movies and all that kind of thing. You know, like, you know that thing at the beginning of... Um, every movie like uh, and the ads and all that you know, could I get that gig so what do you mean he says well you know one man <laughs> two lives so I went Tony is that what you want to do like, that's my biggest dream I want to do those things oh, there was a guy Don Fontaine well, no, but it wasn't even him. Hold on. There was another one he wanted to do and do it better. Because you probably don't remember this, but at the very beginning of uh, if you rent a video in the video shops, they all started off with the same thing. And it was the BBC Radio 1 DJ going on about blah, 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 like over 18s and that. And he, he used to really relish saying, and there might be sexual swear words. <laughs> and like, Tony says, says, I don't know, you don't need to do it like that. Could you get me that gig, Dave? Because <laughs> even when I was recording, when... When I was recording, let's say, Gift Grub in Today FM, Tony would come into the um, the room, let's say, to say, do you want yeah. to go out for a sandwich? And he'd see me recording. He'd go, can I go in there for a minute? And I'd go, yeah, come on. He'd go up to the mic and he'd go, Nightman. He only comes out at night, not <laughs> yeah. during the day. Nightman. Yeah, totally well, you know, he's very famous for all those things. Like, you know, like he'd talk to somebody and they have nothing to say. Or he'd ask the question that would only elicit a yes or no, which was fatal on Tony's part, all that kind of Can thing. Can I ask you something? He'd be talking to somebody. Yeah, go on. You know, he's talking, he's talking to somebody doing their homework. He's like, what are you doing? So, uh, my, my, my homework. Already, what are you studying at the moment? Geography. Wow. 
<laughs> just, just, just apropos nothing. Yeah. But also, you like you, you do remember he would do the, the everything every time he spoke. There was music playing in the background. He'd have this thumping music of the hotline and all this. And he, you know, the famous one he was doing down at the point for um, whatever it was it was called the point at the time for Young Line or Child Line. That's it. And and the Carter twins came in and he actually said like you know like when did you guys get together? Which is like so Tony and I love it. like he suddenly. He'd, he'd, he'd have the Irish news at half three and he'd go, um, like he'd be going kind of, yeah, right, okay, and you're busting my chops. <laughs> it's just Tony. Yeah, good enough, yeah they didn't really go together. So I'm going to ask yeah. you a sacrilegious question now. Can I ask you a sacrilegious question? Go right ahead. Okay, so what's this, what, what, is, what are middle-aged, certain middle-aged men's predilection with David Bowie all about? Okay, so I'll stop before you answer. I'll, I'll try and give you a little premise. And that is, like, I listen to David Bowie and I just go, oh, my God, that's great music. And I forget about the fact that, like, okay, he was 20 years doing shite in the tin machine or whatever, uh, or what I'd regard as shite anyway, um, or that nobody knew the music or there was no hits or whatever. And you just listen to some of his music from the 70s and you go, that's great. But what is it about David Bowie that evinces this almost this, this 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 mad reaction in men of a certain age well i mean like you know like it's like if, if you know there's, a lot, there's an awful lot of people in Ireland to follow leeds united they're all of a certain mm. age 55 to 65 because that was the don Revy era and that's they were never mm. anything since i mean like if you were there i was there like the biggest single uh, solo acts for me male female of the uh, 70s joni mitchell female david bowie mm. male now i bought david bowie's albums um like from the word go, well, after Space Odyssey, and then the next one, the man who sold the world, or the man who fell to earth, the man sorry, the man who sold the world, <laughs> and like we bought that, and we really. Did. By the time Honky Dory came out, myself, and my friends were just obsessed with them, and then, you know, Ziggy Stars and all the rest. Now, obviously, for me, Honky Dory and Station Station are the best ones, no question about it. But there was something about him all the time that was brilliant, and you said something there that is actually true. It's not so much that he was shite with those kind of mm. later eighties albums and into the nineties. And it wasn't that he was shite necessarily with Tin Machine, but most people didn't really give a damn. And it does, it really does go back to the first six or seven albums, yeah. up to including, maybe not even including, Young Americans. So it, that is true. Now, and then he, he gave up in 2004. He came back in 2013 with um, The Next Day. And I thought that was completely overrated. I thought there was one good song on it, Where Are We Now, the single. But Black Star has seven tracks on it. Two of them are shite. One of them is really very good, and the other three are fantastic. Oh, really? So, it's so a, you think there's so three really tracks on that that are on a par with with any with all the stuff that? Oh, yeah. like stuff like um, Lazarus, stuff like the title track, mm. Black Star. Absolutely. But, but I'm, I'm, no, but I'm because Ian Dempsey, for example, you don't need me to tell you that. Like Ian yeah. is Ian is kind of obsessed with David Bowie to the extent that he tells me a story once that he did an interview with Bowie. Bowie put out a fag in front of him and he walked away. Ian stared for five minutes at the fag butt, wondering should he take the fag butt home and keep it. Yeah. And, and yeah. I'm kind of going, this doesn't tally with anything else about Ian Dempsey I would know as a person. In other words, it's sort of as if Ian is Ian until you talk to him about day, until it becomes about David Bowie, and then he turns into uh, this different person. Hold on. If you think that's if you think that's weird, like my favorite, most consistently favorite, even though he does release some bad stuff, artist, if that's the word for it, the last thirty years since nineteen ninety, is Nick Cave. Now the main guy with Nick Cave is a guy called Warren Ellis. He's got a book out in the last month, and it's um, Nina Simone's chewing gum. 
He did the same thing with Nina Simone Sarge at the chewing gum on stage. He took it and it's been the talisman of his life ever since. I mean, like we we started collecting stuff in the studio. We had R.E.M., Neil Young and all that in there. And we started collecting, then we just threw it all out after a while. So I do understand. I completely understand the David Bowie thing. Mm. Um, I just get it. Like I've interviewed him four or five times in various places and he's just, he's a bit of a chancer. And I quite like that about him. You know, he's a bit of a, like, I mean, I said to him once, so like, you know, it's great. You know, like your birthday's on the same day as Elvis. Oh, I was hoping you'd say Jackson Pollock. Ah, fuck off. <laughs> like, stop. You yeah. know, like, well, that, 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 like that kind of thing, you know, but like he also, he knows how to steal from things yeah. and make them his own, you yeah. know, but that's good. You know, like the best artists steal, as they say, you know, so I, I, he's great. Those albums that when they came out around the time, like I'll tell you, the Space Oddity album is very underrated. It's just fantastic. Right. Okay. Yeah. I think it was always that expression. It was, I think it was, um, borrowing is talent stealing is genius stealing is genius yeah, yeah. brilliant what, what about um, Irish music in the last five or ten years is it always the same in terms of there's a certain amount of talent coming through there's a certain amount of shite it, do, do, you do you reckon know, it yeah, always is? Kind of is. Or, yeah, it or, kind of is. I mean, is there a golden time and is there a better time? Sometimes you need a bit of luck. So when you 2 happened big, a lot of bands came afterwards and they got more attention from places like, you know, yeah. music magazines and record companies across the world, which was a good thing. It sort of did elevate it a mm. few steps. But I don't necessarily think there's any more better music now than there probably was then. I mean, there's plenty of good music out mm. there. There always mm. is, you know, always is, you know. Um, like this year now, there's a guy called A. Smith and he's got his album out called Last Animals and he wouldn't be well known or anything, but it's a really good album. You know, like there's, a, there's a, usually really good albums every so often coming out of her. Do um, any interviews, because you've just conducted so many because of your TV shows and everything and it was uh, on RT and everything. Do any interviews ever flash before your eyes or come back to you of, oh, Jesus, I fuck it. And I remember that moment with that person or did you, I mean, presumably, I mean, like you're dealing with very... Um, flinty characters who are flying all over the world with jet lag and uh, yeah. you're, you're, you're ostensibly a potential pain in the hole for them. Um, yeah. So that, I'm sure. Sh- um, yeah. Well, no, first of all, I'm not trying to expose them. I'm not trying to find out the bad bits mm. and, and, and amplify them. I mean, the thing is that like, I was just doing interviews with rock people. They're not like, you know, warlords in Africa or something. I mean, like, I mean, most interviews, almost every one of them goes fine. It absolutely goes more than fine. And once you have your homework done, you really have to, in case it goes in a different direction, you've got to go with it. It's absolutely okay. The things that don't often work, you might be on the 92nd floor of some building in New York and you have everything going. And then suddenly a tape runs out on the camera and the cameraman has to go down to his van to get one. Now that kind of thing does annoy me because that blows it. Because you're setting up the room to make it look right for about two or three hours. The guy comes in for about an hour only. And, you know, you might get an afternoon with them, but you very seldom do. You get an hour or something and you want to get it right while it's happening. So everybody has to be on their game. Mm. So the least I can do is be on my game if I'm asking the sound guy, the lighting guy, the camera guy to be. And and are you still loving this as much as you? Absolutely. 100 percent. Absolutely. What drove you the enthusiasm is. Well, I mean, like I'm currently doing a thing of bands that most people haven't heard of for an eight part series yeah. on television. And like there's 30 or 35 bands and it's, it's in Whelan's in Dublin. And some people have played on that stage. Some of them haven't even played the Whelan stage. And you would think, God, surely every band has played the Whelan stage. So it's like a mixture of both up and coming and kind of half established. And it's just it's great to be able to do it, to be able to actually get things together like the Broadcasting Association of Ireland, I mean, Authority of Ireland, get Guinness to put the real money into it. 
it and then to make it happen with the best lighting, the best sound, the best cameras and all the rest. And you get like eight programs out of it. It's fantastic. Yeah. Love it every minute. And am I right in saying that you didn't you say that you weren't one of these people? You're not one of these RTE staffers. So, for example, you don't have to, unless you are, then I'm going down the wrong No, I'm, I'm, so you, I've been on contract for 40 years. Yes, so exactly. So you won't have to be, they won't have to go, well, Dave, it's time now no, for they, you. No, 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 no. I'd be, like, be like Larry, Larry Gogan. I just keep going, you know, or Gay Byrne could have. Well, don't Byrne stop, Sonny. Going. Don't stop. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And in fact, Gay Byrne was a good man for the old advice. He say when the figures come out of radio, that's just the end of everything because they don't mean anything and they just annoy people and they're manipulated by everybody else. It's just a joke. But funnily enough, a lot of the public actually believe it. None of it's true. That's the first thing. Every time I met him there in the last few months, because I knew gay better than I probably should have people think I would because my mm. wife worked on the last five years of yeah. Gay's Late Late Show. And we'd see him. He'd be in the house. I'd be in his house. But um, I remember he, I'd see him coming in on Sunday afternoons for his lyric programme. And I'd be leaving my one. I go, how's it going? There? Go, above ground, Davy. above ground. Above ground, Davy. above ground. Thank you. Yeah, well done, Sonny. Above ground. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was oh, the best. Dave, he was. He was great. I remember, actually, my, uh, I did, I was, he was at a gig I did in the convention centre once. And uh, I was actually doing him on stage in the convention centre. And the whole thing oh, ended yeah. and we all walked out. But he caught my eye at the end and he went, you got me. You got me. Yeah. And I remember thinking, yeah. I actually will will frame that in my mind now as one of my highlights <laughs> yeah. of my entire yeah. life, because if you're yeah. a person that grew up in the 70s and 80s watching Gabo um, and watched yeah. him laugh at comedians because he was the best laugher. Yeah. He, he really loved all that. He was very much into much more into yeah, light entertainment. He really was. Realized. And he could do the, uh, he, yeah, was he was just was. the best. There's nobody better. Dave, Seriously. this has been great. Yeah. Thank you. But you, you, you've, a few people have been listening on the phone. And, uh, you know, I know they haven't been watching you because they didn't have video, okay? <laughs> so a few people have been listening on the phone and they want to ask you a couple of questions. Will you take a few questions from some people? I will, to so be sure. So Brendan O'Connor's sure. on the line. Say hello to Brendan O'Connor. Brendan, how are you doing? Are you all right? How are you doing, Dave? Oh, jeez, absolutely amazing. Really, really, really loved it. As a fellow um, David Bowie evangelical, um, I really, you had me in bits. I actually cried at the, at the traffic lights in Black Rock the day that I heard David Bowie died and I know you were in bits and in tears somewhere else come here um, and this isn't about Covid now or anything okay um, who's your favourite show to do to stand in when you're not doing your own show my favourite show Jerry Ryan Jerry yeah. Ryan without a doubt Brendan would have been my favourite show I'm sorry God, good thing I haven't filled in for years I'm sure I should have said Brendan um, no Jerry Ryan definitely yeah Great fun. Great, Jerry. You had fun. And, and Tubbs, you fill in for Tubbs as Absolutely well? Absolutely enjoyed that. Fill in for Ray. Filled in for, uh, God, who else? Something else. Oh, yeah, I filled in for Ronan once. For a Ro- whole week. Ronan Collins? Yeah, I started off with God Save the Queen. Great, uh, right. And you had to say yeah. roundy, roundy old birthdays and all that. Yeah, I had to say, like, still holding hands. Absolutely, okay. yeah. And just another question. If you could be a member of one band in the world, what band yeah. would it have been? Uh, the Small Faces. Sorry, I'll jump in there. Why is that, Dave? Well, I'll tell you, I'll give you one example. Can you imagine being on stage? Well, I'll tell you, look it up on YouTube. There's a song called Tin Soldier, The Small Faces, and they're on stage doing it with P.P. Arnold. And Steve Marriott, if you don't think it's just, you should just be in awe. I'd like to be beside him doing that. Wow. It's <laughs> sensational. Great. By the way, sorry, being doing what you're doing in life, that wasn't. You're not. You're not suggesting that there isn't a suggestion that 
I would have been a rock star. I would have preferred to be a rock star, but I ended up doing this. Are are you glad that you ended up doing this rather than being a rock star? Or were you just going, shut up, Mario, we all want to be rock stars? Well, let's put it this way. I never wanted to be a rock star mm, necessarily, yeah. you know, although I used to listen to music in a certain way yeah. that I was putting on at concerts. Yeah. I had the, all these albums lined up in the dark. I even broke the light on my record player once because I couldn't get the bulb out just so the room would be in complete yeah. darkness. But anyway, that's, that's yeah. a different world altogether. Um, no, I mean. Yeah, so you like, didn't necessarily want to be a rock star. No, but the funny thing about it is, is that I I also never played an instrument. Yeah. You know, my brother was a member of Napebury Illin. Yeah. He was an Illin yeah. piper. But no, I tell you, and I used to make terrible noises yeah. in the house. Um, no, I. Uh, funny thing is, no, no, like I mean, I saw a thing in the paper the other day about uh, you know, I just wanted to do two things. Some woman was saying, you know, I wanted to do, I want to have a good home, happy home life, and I really enjoy my job. Like I. I I I won the lotto on that mm. level, so maybe maybe I wouldn't have. I was a rock and you were lucky. And you were lucky, as, as you said yourself. Lovely. Louis Walsh is on the Very line lucky. as well, Dave. Oh, come on, Louis. Dave, <laughs> Dave, Dave, Dave. You're gonna be huge. You're gonna be a star, Dave. You've got the likability factor, Dave. Tell the truth. There must have been one boy zone or Westlife song that you sing alone when you're in the car. Tell me what song it is, Dave. There isn't. Not one. Hey, you're lying. You. You're a well-known liar. I will you're say a snob and a liar. I will say one thing, and that is that one of the members of one of those bands is one of the nicest and most fantastic and most entertaining people I have ever met through all, all the other musicians in my life, and that's Keith Duffy. He is, I, I absolutely love the guy. I really do. I think it's just so. If you're responsible for that, Louis, thank you very much indeed. And it's, it's, been, a, it's been fantastic. But Dave, fantastic. That's, that's hilarious because Keith Duffy's actually on the line. Say hello. Really? Keith, good man, Keith. Whoa, how are you, buddy? How are you, buddy? <laughs> Dave, I was driving down outside the Long Mile Road. With, with new tyres? With new tyres from my own company called Tyreland. <laughs> and I heard you on the podcast. <laughs> and I wanted to say specifically, thank you for saying that I'm a nice buddy. <laughs> Is that okay with well, you? Absolutely, 100% okay with me. One of the most entertaining and one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Absolutely. Christy Moore is on the line, Dave. Say hello. Come on, Christy. How are you doing? How's it going? How are you doing, Dave? Oh, jeez. I'm really enjoying this conversation. And I just wanted (laughs) to ask you there. I know you're a big fan of Andy Irvine and Paul Brady and all these people. And I know you've listened to some of my own stuff going forward. But do you think I was right to tell some of them in Vicar Street the other day to fuck off? And Absolutely. Have you ever been rude to a person in the public eye yourself? I have never been rude to a person in the public eye myself. No, but you have the right to do it because you're up there and it's your gig and you're in charge and you're on the stage and yeah. you have complete control and complete command. So you might as well do it. I remember the days when you played with the people you just mentioned there in terms of Plankstein and all the rest of them. That's right. And like every single person in college was into all their rock and David Bowie yeah, and Led Zeppelin. Folk and revival. Yeah, exactly. But a huge amount of people with their duffel coats and bad beards were moving towards the music of sort of we supposedly had grown up on because of people like you and the Botty Band and, and Planksty and all that. Brilliant. Great. Oh, Dave, it's great to hear you, by. Thanks a million. Good night, yourself. Uh, there's a man from Black Rock on the line as well. Uh, Dave, if you don't mind, his name is his name is Mr. D. Dave Fanning. 
Say yeah. hello to him. <laughs> hello, me. How are you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Dave, Dave, Dave. I'd just like to ask you in the context of the kind of homogenization of music and the kind oh, of... I, I where is that crypto cool slash trendy zeitgeist? I'd never say I just want to ask you. I'd never say, like, I, like I, I wanted to ask you, do you know Amanpour on CNN? She goes... Um, yeah, 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 Christian Amanpour. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, or whatever, like, you know, uh, well, then ask. Well, that's, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I mean, they're talking about the put on or the exemplified, let's say, the Harry Styles who kind of cuckoo the kind of early way into an oh, Elvin like John. Harry. Yeah, Harry Styles. David Bowie has kind of pastiche for the Aldi generation. I guess what I'm trying to say is that, you know, trends are kind of ipso facto. They're all inherently cyclical. <laughs> One man's Elvis is after all the other man's Frank Sinatra. And I suppose at the end of the day, the only defining and differentiating factor that ultimately separates bands is taste. So I suppose I've answered my own question. Thanks, Dave. Well, that was a savage indictment of bourgeois society as we know it today and a scathing and cogent attack on the evils inherent in our He's midst. hung up. He answered, his, he, answered, he answered your own question. <laughs> Fair play to you. That was fantastic. Oh, well done. Um, oh, God. Dave, thank you so much. I've taken up enough of your Mario. time. I've really enjoyed it. Back. And thank you very much. Good man, Mario. Take it easy, right? Thanks very Good much. Bula. And that's it from me for this week. And that's it from Dave Fanning. Thanks very much to Dave for agreeing to do the interview and coming on the podcast. Uh, thanks to all of you, of course, for listening. Um, it's coming up to Christmas now, and I want to wish you all a happy Christmas. We have one more um, podcast next week, just before the Christmas break, uh, and I think you'll enjoy that one as well. Um, Curries, thank you so much for supporting us all year. You've been a great support. Um, and thank you all uh, for listening and sending in your emails, mariorosenstock at gmail.com, and for following. I'm on Instagram as well and Twitter. Thanks a million. Uh, See you same time, same place next week.